So tonight, like I said, we're talking about fear. Uh, it was not planned out that it would be by Halloween. It just kind of like happened upon me that this is what we're talking about. Uh, but I thought it'd be a good time to ask a question. Does anyone here like scary movies? Any scary movie fans? Uh, like thrillers? Okay, thrillers maybe, something like that. Like them, right? You like them, but not that much. <laughs> not for like two hours straight. <laughs> like a break. Halftime, three jump scares and you're out. Uh, all right, so the thing I like about thrillers and some scary movies is the plot twists that happen with them, all right? So does anyone know what the greatest movie plot twist of all time is? This is an objective question, by the way. It's not subjective. There is one correct answer to the greatest movie plot twist of all time. What? Frozen. What? What? What is the <laughs> that oh Hans Hans yeah that that's a that's a that's a solid answer it is not the correct answer that's that is uh, I would say top five at least but it's not the greatest this is objective yes it's objective to me <laughs> yes exactly exactly the correct answer. If any of you are wondering, is Sixth Sense. Have any of y'all ever seen Sixth Sense? This is an older movie. I'm showing that I'm a little bit older than you guys. M. Night Shyamalan. Shyamalama Ding Dong. Yes. Uh, so he, uh, the whole premise of Sixth Sense is there's a little boy, uh, Haley Joel Osment, if you are actor person, but um, no, uh, he, uh, is able to see dead people, all right? So, yeah, if you know the line, I see dead people, it's from Sixth Sense. So does anyone not want the movie spoiled? If you do, now walk out. But, um, yeah, it's it's a good movie. I, I would still recommend watching it, even if I'm about to spoil it for you. But the whole premise, the whole premise of the movie is this boy thinks he can see dead people, and so there's this investigator uh, prayed, played by Bruce Willis who is helping him investigate whether these people are really dead, whether there's these like murders going on, trying to understand what's happening. And so throughout the whole time, the plot is them investigating all these things that this boy is seeing, but at the end of the movie, it's revealed that Bruce Willis was actually dead the whole time. And so he is the dead people. It won multiple awards. It's one of the greatest. I still remember watching that for the first time and being like, what? Are you serious? It's crazy. I know. I I, I said, walk. you could walk out. I gave you an opportunity. Earmuffs, guys. Uh, Yeah, you'll wait till a year later and watch. All right. Wait for it to exit your brain. Uh, Anyway, so. The whole premise between these plot twists is that the way things appeared is not the way they actually are. And what we're going to see in Luke chapter 12 is how Jesus approached this group of people. Is He's telling them that the way you appear is not who you actually are, and that one day the inner part of yourself, the part that you're trying to keep hidden, the part that you don't want anyone else to know about, 
is going to be revealed. And so you're, we're kind of going to be exploring that whole teaching and how that made people feel and how Jesus responded to those feelings. Uh, so if you have your Bible, it's not open yet, Luke chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. So I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to start by reading verses 1 through 4. Okay, so let's, um, let me pray and then we're going to jump in. Lord, I pray now that as we read your word and study it, uh, that your spirit speaks to us and that you help us to know what you want us to know, that you help us to respond how you want us to respond, and that you change our hearts and minds so that we are more like you. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. So let's stop right there. So here's the scene, here's the situation that we're entering into. Jesus has been teaching and, and preaching uh, in different towns and different cities. This is kind of like right in the middle of his ministry. And as he's going through that, uh, through, through these different areas and, and teaching the word, he makes enemies, but also makes followers, right? People are just interested to know about Jesus. He is a polarizing figure in that day. The miracles that he's doing, the casting out of demons, the feeding of thousands of people, the the uh, words that he's saying that people have not really heard being be taught that way. Everything about Jesus is polarizing. It's it's interesting. People just want to be around him. And so the scene right here is just thousands of people gathered together, even trampling one another, right? Like Black Friday vibes going on here. People running one another over just to be around Jesus, just to be able to hear what he has to say. And so in that scene, just imagine, right? You're just chaos going around. People just clamoring over one another just to get near Jesus. In this scene, he starts talking to his disciples. Now, we don't know if it's specifically like the 12 disciples or if he has a larger group of followers. I imagine he probably has a larger group of followers around him. But he's speaking to the people who specifically want to be his follower, who want to go where he goes, who want to learn what he has to say, be where he's at, the people who want to be his disciples. So for us, if we're here and we want to follow Jesus, right? he's speaking to us where we're at. Okay, And here's what he says. You know, again, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So that word hypocrisy actually comes from uh, a Greek word that means actor, right? Somebody who pretends to be someone else. Someone who puts on a mask, puts on a face, puts on, you know, a whole different persona so that other people will think they're someone else. But what Jesus is saying is you need to watch out for people who are on the outside one way, but is not the same way on the inside. And he's specifically right now calling out the Pharisees. 
the teachers of the law, the teachers who are supposed to be the ones who say the right things and point people in the right way and tell people exactly how to follow God. He's saying watch out for them because the way they look on the outside is not what's really going on on the inside. Right, and so for right there, we should we should pause and think: Am I like that? Am I like one of these Pharisees, where I might put on a face or a or a persona, or people might look at me and think, "Yeah, that's a good church kid," but on the inside, we know that there's other things going on there that no one else knows about, that no one else has seen, that no one else really has any insight to. And here's what Jesus says. That if that is who we are, if that, that is how these Pharisees are, that whatever they cover up is going to be revealed, whatever is in the darkness is going to be brought to light, everything that's hidden is going to be shown, going to be proclaimed on the rooftops, and people are going to find out about it. Right Now this isn't a promise that Jesus is making, where every secret anyone ever has, someday somebody's going to find out. But what he is saying is that you can't hide anything from Him. You can't hide anything from the Father. And ultimately, it's really hard to go a a long life hiding something that's on the inside. And so if that's where we are, if that's where these people were, if that's where His disciples were, you can imagine the emotional response to that is going to be fear. It's going to be Oh my gosh, I know myself. I know what I've done. I mean, just even in the context of this passage, there's people literally like trampling other people, like running them over, stomping on them, and there is chaos going on around. And Jesus is saying that all that stuff and that mob that maybe nobody else saw, but you know what happened, he knows. It's going to be revealed. It's going to be made known. It's going to be found out. There's nothing that's ever going to be hidden that will not be made known. So he says, because of that, do not fear. But we need to think, what is do not fear? What do we need to not fear? First he says, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. One of the first responses that we have whenever we have hidden sin is to keep it hidden. The natural response, I'll say. The natural response in our flesh, if we have something hidden that we don't want people to see, we keep it hidden. Right? That's the whole reason things like you know, makeup and all that stuff exist because we have things that we want hidden that we don't want other people to see, and so we try to cover it up right? with whatever... you know thing on our bodies, whatever thing we try to do to cover it up. We want to cover up things that we don't want people to see. But the first thing Jesus tells us is that we don't need to be worried about what other people are going to say and think about the things that are in our heart that is hidden. Right? What we need to worry the most about is what God thinks. So verse five, verses 5-7, through seven, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear me, fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? 
Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Right? Jesus is telling us that if we truly understand what's going on in our hearts, we truly understand the fact that our sin is ugly before God and before others, we shouldn't worry the most about what other people are going to think. We should worry the most about what God is going to think, what He is going to say, how He is going to respond to our sin. Because it says, after He has killed, which is an interesting way to put it, right? A lot of us don't want to think about the fact that God has the authority to both give and to take life away. God has the authority over our lives to say it's over. That your day, the last number of your day is right now, and He has the authority to kill. Now, it's different than God saying He has the authority to murder, right? Murder is, implies that you don't have any authority over that life and that you take it unwillingly by someone who does have the authority over their life. But God doesn't murder, but God does kill. God does have the authority to end a life that He has created. And not only does He have the authority to end the life on earth, but He has the authority to give that person whom he has killed an eternal punishment for the life that they live. He has the authority to cast into hell. And so it says, fear him. And if it would stop right there, it would be really scary. It would be really bad. It would be news that we would not want to hear or accept or a God that we probably would not want to be around. Because it, sound, it sounds very... Fearful, like scary, that there's this God out here who can kill us and throw us into hell. And there's, you know, seemingly nothing we can do about it. But the good news that Jesus tells us is that this God who we should fear is actually someone we should not fear. And I'll explain that. Okay. It says in verse 7, right? The hairs of our head are numbered, so fear not, for you are more value than many sparrows, right? So what is Jesus saying? He tells us not to fear, and then to fear, and then not to fear, right? What is he trying to get us to understand? He's trying to get us to understand that the way we fear man and the way that we fear God are two different things, right? When we look at the fear of man, it usually involves what is going to happen to me personally that I don't like, that I don't want, that is going to be negative for me, that's going to put me in a bad mood or, or hurt me or whatever it might be. What's going to happen to me in this scenario? Right? That's, that's the fear of man. When you look at the fear of God, it's the opposite. It's what's, going, what's God going to do in response to what I say, think, or do? How does God look at me? How does God work? How is God moving? Right, We're looking at God. The fear of God is keeping our eyes fixed on Him so that we see how awesome and powerful and authoritative He is, but also how good and gracious and merciful He is. Right, It's looking at God with a, with a lens that sees wider than the small lens that we sometimes want to put on Him. It's easy to think that God is much smaller than He actually is. It's easy to think that God is just out there, kind of like you know the the caricature of like the genie in the bottle, right? That God is there, that God's around, that God you know pats me on the back and sends me on my way and tells me you know 
you're doing a great job or tells me, hey, that's not a great idea. You should just do this instead very gently. And he does. He loves us enough to give us grace and mercy. But we also need to have a bigger lens to understand how he feels about sin. He's very clear here that God hates sin, that sin involves death and sin involves an eternity away from him in a place called hell. It's not something to take lightly. It's going to be revealed, and there's nothing that we can keep hidden. But in his power and in his authority, there is grace and mercy and care and love for us that he values us more than anything else in this creation. We are the only thing that God has created in his image. The only thing that God, after he made us, looked at and said, you will be like me. You will reflect who I am to everyone else in the world. You will be a mirror that when people look at you, if you are with me, they will see me. And so with that in mind, right, with God's, with the great big lens of God, what does Jesus want us to do with this fear, right? With this fear of God that trumps over the fear of man. It's a godly fear and not a worldly fear. What does God want us, what does Jesus want us to do with this? That's where we see verses 8 through 12 here. It says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So Jesus is saying that if we have this right fear of God, if we truly understand who God is, if we truly understand how He relates to us and the fact that He sees us more deeply than we can even see ourselves, he's saying that the right response is to acknowledge this God. But notice, he doesn't say acknowledge God, but he says acknowledge me. Jesus here is claiming a divinity, which is something he does often throughout his life. If you've never read through the Gospels or looked while you've been reading through the Gospels at all the times Jesus claims to be God, it's a lot. Jesus claims to be God over and over. And right here is another claim that if you acknowledge me before men, he will acknowledge us before God and before the angels. Right? If we say, I believe that Jesus is Son of God, the Savior, the one who has rescued me from my sins, Jesus will do the same for us. That all the things that we have hidden, that have just been revealed, right? When you stand before God, and, and God looks at you and says, tell me about yourself, and you, in your mind, have this flood kind of just come to you of these scenes in your life of all the things that you've done, all the things that you've looked at on your phone, all the things that you've said to other people, 
all the ways that you've talked behind someone's back or all the things that you've done to hurt someone else, all those things flooding back to your mind and you're just laying them out before God over and over and over a lifetime worth of these hidden sins. Jesus says at the end of that, if you just say, and I believe in Jesus, Jesus is going to step right there in front of you. And when God looks at you, all those things that you've just listed off before God are gone, and He sees Jesus. That's what acknowledging Jesus before men does. It, it wipes that slate clean. And that's where that do not fear comes back in. If we have acknowledged Jesus, we do not need to fear there is nothing in this world that will ever take that away from us. Jesus says himself that everyone whom the Father has sent for me will come to me, and I will never let them go. Right? There is not going to be any moment in our lifetime where Jesus will let us go, and when we stand before God after our life is over, He will be right there with us. But there's also a warning here. Right? It says, yes, if you acknowledge me, I will acknowledge you before the angels. But if you deny me, then you will be denied before the angel of God. If you speak a word against me, you'll be forgiven. But if you speak a word against the Holy Spirit, you will not be forgiven. So what does that mean? What is this Jesus telling us here? That we can be forgiven of Almost anything that happens in this life. But there's something that Jesus calls blaspheming against the Holy Spirit that we will not be forgiven of. Now this is something that you know, theologians, people have thought about and worked out uh, in different ways. Um, but there's a general consensus for one of two things here. And I'm going to tell you both of them and I'm going to tell you what I believe personally that Jesus is talking about here. The first thing is that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is simply never acknowledging Jesus in this lifetime. Never submit, uh, 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 repenting of your sins and submitting to Jesus as your Lord and Savior in your life, just truly, literally, from you know uh, your whole life, denying Jesus, never coming to Him. And I think that could be a, a valid way to interpret that. And I think another valid way to interpret that is in the context of Luke, if you were to go back to chapter 11, one of the first way, uh, the first teachings Jesus gives uh, about in this whole uh, context here happens when the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of basically casting out demons in the name of Satan, Beelzebub, the prince of demons. Right? It says in uh, Luke, this is... Luke 11, starting in four, verse 14, right? He gives you know, this, this. Luke gives us this story about Jesus casting out a demon, people accusing him of doing it by the power of Satan, and Jesus basically telling them that that makes no sense. If I cast out demons by Satan, like it's a house divided, that you know, that well, I don't know how, why you're thinking this, and in Mark and Matthew. There, the teaching that Jesus gives us about um, in, in chapter 12 about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit happens right after that. 
And a lot of people think that that means that to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit means to come, say you know Jesus, say you believe in Jesus, right? Say you have the Holy Spirit with you, but then in your lifetime, turning your back on Him and attributing Him or accusing Him of being Satan, being with Satan, being, you know, being, do, giving the same accusation that the people in Luke chapter 11 did, tying Jesus in with Satan. Either way you interpret that, both of those are not good. Both of those are things we want to avoid. Both of those are things that we would want to uh, be far away from. And the good news is Jesus warns us about that, right? He tells us that if we blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, we will not be forgiven. Now, I tend to think that the, uh, the first interpretation is what Jesus is talking about. But either way, doesn't really matter what I think. What matters the most is that Jesus is giving us this warning in order that we will know it and stay far away from it. Right? God in His goodness throughout the Bible gives us rules and gives us commands and gives us things that we should follow in order that we will not have to face the consequences of breaking that law, breaking that command, the consequences of sin. Jesus is trying to give us a warning here so that we will be far away, not to make us afraid, but to grow our faith in Jesus. And so, with all that in mind, he gives us one last thing to do, right? We need to acknowledge God, acknowledge Jesus before men, and he will do that before God. We need to stay far away from blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And whenever we do find ourselves in fearful situations, we need to remember that His power and His words are going to fill us, right? Jesus is telling His disciples that when they face persecution, when they face suffering, when they face difficult circumstances, the circumstance that He's given is them standing before synagogues and rulers and authorities and having to defend themselves for believing in Jesus. He's saying that He will give them everything they need to get through that moment. For them specifically in that situation, He says the Holy Spirit will teach you what you, ought, what you ought to say right there in that moment. He's going to give them the words to say as they're facing intense suffering and persecution and as fear is creeping up on them. He's going to give them all the words they need to say. But I think you can apply that out. I believe the Bible teaches that you can apply this out to not just simply standing before a judge or standing before a friend and having to defend your faith. I think you can apply it out to any suffering, any circumstance we go through in this life that we feel is difficult, that's weighing down on us, that's causing us to fear. We can trust that God's going to give us everything we need to get through it. One of my favorite verses about the Bible, in the Bible, is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that says, All Scripture has been breathed out by God and it's uh, inspired. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Right? Jesus says that if you have the Word of God with you, you have everything you need to make it through any circumstance that you might come across. Any situation, any level of fear that you have, 
The Word of God is there to bring you through it. So if we enter into a season of fear and of suffering and of anxiousness and whatever it might be, trust that God's going to give you everything you need in that season. And one last passage that I want us to think about. If you, if you want to, you can, but if you flip over to Luke 21. We see Jesus in the garden. Or sorry, Luke 22, I believe. Um, Oh man. Yeah. Sorry. Um, Jesus in the garden. At the end of Luke 21, I believe. Sorry. No, at the end of Luke 22. Um, Jesus is praying on the Mount of Olives. This is in, um, starting in verse 39. He's asking his disciples to pray with him. He's asking his disciples to be with him and to comfort him and to go to God for him and just to be near him as he knows he's about to be betrayed and arrested and beaten and uh, put on trial illegally, all the things that he's about to go through. He's asking them to be there with him and to go to God on his behalf and Ask God to give him strength because that's what he's asking for, right? He says in verse 42, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Jesus is asking for strength in a time of intense agony, right? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that in these moments Jesus was afraid, but it does tell us that he was experiencing an immense amount of pain and suffering, inner suffering, inner pain, inner turmoil, inner anxiety. And so it says, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So Jesus understands what it's like to go through times where you feel overwhelmed, whether it's by fear, whether it's by worry, whether it's by suffering, whatever it might be, whatever is overwhelming you, Jesus knows what it's like to feel that emotion, to feel overwhelmed. And so when he taught his disciples to fear not, when he taught his disciples to keep their eyes focused on Jesus and not what people around you might think about you or do to you, He knows that he's going to have to do the same thing. That he's going to have to face that same level of agony in his own life in just a short time later. But he wants us to know that no matter what, that he is with us. That he is going to give us everything we need, just like God has given him everything he needed. That God had even strengthened him by sending an angel to give him strength in those moments right before he gets betrayed and arrested. Jesus gives us all that we need. So I want us to think, give, give you guys three thoughts, three applications, three things that you could take from this passage and go out into your life, into your world, and ask God if this is something he wants you to do. Right? The first thing is that if you... if 
been sitting here and just recognizing a sin in your life, something hidden that has not been revealed, the first thing you need to do is take that before God, and I would encourage you to confess that to someone else. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins to one another, we will be healed. The Bible is clear that, yes, confessing to God is important. It is the first step. But if you truly want to get past whatever you might be holding on to and hiding, that you need to have someone in your corner that you can talk to. Someone in your corner that you can just share those deep parts of your life with and be transparent with so that nothing is hidden. So if you have that in your life, go and talk to God. Go and talk to someone else. That's the first thing. Second thing, if your view of small of God is really small right now, say you came in here and you're like, yeah, you know, God's cool, He's out there, He's with me, you know, you know, just you know, God's there, but maybe you don't spend too much time with Him, or you know, you think, oh, He's always He's always got my back, or He's just, you know, if you have a view of of God that really doesn't think about the fact that He is holy and righteous and powerful and authoritative, and that He is a King. Right? He is a savior and he's loving, he's a father, right? All those things, but he's also a king. A, a king that whenever Jesus comes back, it says, you know, swords are coming out of his mouth and fire all around him, right? He, there's this just awesome picture of Jesus coming back. He is the king of all kings, right? Remember all of who God is. Widen your view of God. That'd be the second thing I would encourage you with. And just do that by reading the Bible. But then the third thing. If you do struggle with, with fear, whether it's an anxiety type of fear, uh, whether it's a fear of what to do in my life, like what am I, what's, what am I going to be when I grow up, you know, like all those different things you might be fearful of, whether it's a person specifically, uh, whatever it might be, trust that God is with you, Jesus is with you, and he's going to give you everything you need to walk through it, whether it's a church community like this one, whether it's a word from the word that's going to speak to you, ultimately the presence of the Holy Spirit who never leaves you, God is going to give you everything you need to get through that fear. The question is, are we going to accept the gifts that God is giving us? We have the word. You have a place you can be, right? You have people who are in your corner. But are you going to accept that in the face of fear? Are you going to lean into that in the face of fear? Are you going to let a fear of man get in the way? Are you going to let a fear of, I don't want people to know this thing. Uh, I don't want to spend the time getting close to God. I would rather do this, this, and this instead. Are you going to let a fear of man get in the way? Trust that Jesus knows what you're going through, and he wants you to run to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us through it. And I pray that anything here that these students needed to hear, that it will sink in. Lord, I know that as I've preached this uh, message, that there have been moments in my life that I can look back and think, you know, this is when I needed you the most and you were there. But I can also remember times when I needed you the most but ran away. And Lord, no matter how many times we run away, we know that you will never stop pursuing us. That you will never 
let us go. That You are good and kind and holy. But Lord, You are also in charge of our life. And Lord, help us to not take that control away from You. Help us not to be the ones to say, Lord, I can do this on my own. But help us confess to You. Help us run to You. Help us know that You are there to give us everything we need. And You are there to guide our lives in a way that's good. Lord, thank You for Jesus and the fact that as He was literally standing on the doorstep of the worst suffering, of the worst pain, of a separation from God by taking our sins for the first time, that He didn't run away, that He didn't let fear control Him, but He leaned into You, received the strength He needed to fulfill the plan that You had given Him. And Lord, if we run to Him, all of our sins can be forgiven. Lord, if anyone in here needs to know, needs to talk about, needs to have a conversation about how their sins can be forgiven and how they can be with you for all eternity, give them the courage and strength to have that conversation before the night is over. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.